0: Good to see you here this morning. I'm glad you made it over. If you'd like to borrow a Bible to follow along with us, feel free to raise your hand. We brought some Bibles with us this morning. Just raise your hand. The ushers, you bring your Bible. When you're done, you can just um, leave them on your chair. Next week, we'll be back at the Music Institute of Chicago, our regular meeting place. We come over here once a year as our place is occupied this week by a special event there. We're glad that you're here and we're very appreciative uh, of the Orrington allowing us to be here. Maybe you've heard me say this over and over again since I started preaching in 2013, but the focus on the first few months of 2013 is going to be on revival. We want revival to be renewed in our minds by the Word of God. We want our hearts affected by the Holy Spirit. We want our hands to move out in action. We, we talk about head, heart, and hands. As I said before, many churches talking about getting the truth from your head to your heart. And we want to say, no, no, get it from your head to your heart, and let's have some action, let's share our faith Let's move out and act some mercy. And when revival comes upon us, then we start living the normal, radical Christian life. And I call it normal, radical, because so many times we say that it's radical what you're doing, when in fact it should be the normal Christian life that's expressed in the New Testament, that we want to live as spirit filled people going out and proclaiming the gospel in doing works of righteousness and holiness. And the reality is that only God can bring revival. Only God can renew you. Only He can work in your heart. Only He can move you out into action. But there are things that we can do in a sense that set us up for revival. Things that I like to call prelude to revival. Those things that are kind of a run up to revival. And so we want to put ourselves in a certain spot where we can ask God to use us and be, be, be more available for His use. In about six weeks from today, we're going to start something called Prelude to Revival. It'll be six days of intense seeking in the face of God from morning to night. You can go to school, go to work during the day, but early in the morning from 5.30 to 7, we're going to, be in the, we're going to be in the Word or we're praying, and at night from 7 to 9, we're going to be worshiping and praising Him. We'll let you know on the locations. as we get closer to time, but it's going to be a week. We're here about 12 sermons. We spend a lot of hours in prayer and a lot of hours in worship, and I'm looking forward to it. But before we hit that prelude to revival, we want you to prepare your heart to be open to God's moving. And right now, there are some things in your life that may hinder revival. There are some things in your life that are keeping you from growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain sins that are almost blocking you from relationship with God and growth. And what we've been summarizing those sins as, we've been calling them the seven deadly sins. Now, understand, there's nothing more deadly about one sin than the other, in a sense. I mean, all sins incur the wrath of God and separate us from Him without the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we like to call them these seven deadly sins, these things that we can have harboring in our lives that can be habitual, that can keep us from walking with the Lord. And last, probably two weeks ago, we covered the sin of pride, which applies to all of us. And then last week, we dealt with the deadly sin of envy. And this morning... We are going to deal with the deadly sin of wrath. Wrath. And you may say, well, why don't you use the word anger? I mean, we could use the word anger, but the thing is with anger is that sometimes it's okay to be angry. The Bible says, be angry, just don't sin. So sometimes when you are personally wronged, you feel angry. Anger. And I think it's okay to tell somebody sometimes, you know, I really feel angry right now. And sometimes anger be really good if you get angry at the injustices in the world. I get angry when I see widows abused. I get angry when I see orphans neglected. And it makes me want to do something and act on my anger. So there are a lot of good reasons to have anger, but never wrath. Wrath crosses the line. Wrath should be reserved only for God. Oh, yes, it's okay for the government to express wrath in the sense of punishment bringing justice, but that's the, that's the government under God's hand. But, but never a time for individuals to express wrath, kind of that revenge going off. You see, when, when you're crossing the line from, from appropriate anger to wrath, it generally, here's a good way, it helped me to think about it this week. Somebody said this, when you're, when you're crossing the line, your your anger becomes out of control, and your anger becomes self-centered. And so if you're here this morning, and you struggle with out-of-control anger, mm-hmm, yep, or you struggle with self-centered anger, anybody with me? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. These these sins of anger in our life can keep us from growing in the Lord, can keep us from revival. That's why we want to deal with it, be open before the Lord, and have him come in and deal with our hearts. And we're doing this through the book of Proverbs. So let's look in Proverbs. I'm going to ground you in one text and branch out from there. Let's look at Proverbs 14, verse 29. Proverbs 14:29. We've been in Proverbs since the fall. And we're still going. And I just, just want to let you know, since we don't have the, you know, the slides at all today, the, the, we're going to be flipping around to a lot of verses, okay? So I've, I've said this before, if you're a Baptist, you're going to love it. Because we're going to be all over the place, all right? Baptists, get ready. The rest of us, try to keep up, all right? 14.29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. There is one thing that my kids do that sets me off just about more than anything else. It bothers me beyond bothering me. And it's what they all have done when they were young toddlers. And if I could say one thing that bothers me, just really, oh, it bothers me. It's this one thing and, I, and I'm going to tell you what it is. All of my kids when they were young, for whatever reason, liked to play in the toilet. <laughs> they act like it's a water park. I don't know what the deal is. And it, it is so disgusting. And I'm like, what are you doing in the toilet? <laughs> but that's not the thing that bothers me the most. What can be worse than playing in the toilet? <laughs> Another thing that bothers me is they have all from time to time liked to play and go through the trash. You know you did too. Well, our, <laughs> our kids, what they do is they like to take stuff out of the trash and put stuff in the trash. So if we're missing something, we say, go look in the trash. So recently, uh, we were missing a baby monitor, and I went and looked in the trash, and sure enough, little kid, put it in the trash. My, my wife said recently about our 19-month-old, she said, he acts like that the trash is his toy box. He really does. like, oh, look, some toys. I don't know what his deal is, but... That doesn't bother me the most either. There's something worse that bothers me than playing in the toilet and going to trash. What bothers me as a parent more than anything else it just gets in their skin and drives me nuts is when my kids throw fits. I don't know what it is, but when they don't get their way, or they are harmed or wronged, or they are told no. From time to time, the young ones, the very young ones, have all thrown fits. These temper tantrums where they... It's, it's, it's often on the floor. I don't know, what about temper tantrums? Boom, hit the floor. I don't know what the deal is. And it's on the stomach, and they're like beating and raging and kicking and angry. And when I see that, I just... Oh, it just really does everything in me. And so I I realized that it was bothering me so much and I didn't know what the problem was. And and when I would see this happening, I started taking a different tact. when I see this. From time to time, I would see them on the floor. And in my head, I would say, that's me. That's me. And when I want to get theological with my older kids and it's happening in front of them, I'll turn to my older kids and from time to time, I'll I'll point at them and say, hey, that's me. You see, the reality is that all of us, even us grown-ups from time to time are still prone to fits. Like we're little kids. When we don't get our way or we're told no or we feel slighted, we still throw fits. I mean, you may no longer be the teenager that, that runs to your room and slams the door, and yet you still may be that one who responds to not getting your way with raging, maybe, maybe even violence. But most of you, you respond by not getting your way uh, perhaps by cussing, striking back with your words. Or any screamers or yells in here? Yeah, you don't get your ways to screaming and yelling. But most of you are probably more sophisticated in your wrath and your fits. Some of you express your wrath and your fits by the silent treatment. Anybody do that in here? Instead of raging out, you, you, you bottle it up and you, just, you show somebody, you put them in their place by the silent treatment. But my favorite way to express wrath is through sarcasm. You see, I used to be a a really big cusser back in the day. I would just fly off and cuss like crazy. But now I'm a Christian and more sophisticated. I express my wrath through sarcasm. Yeah? Yeah. But here's the deal. However you express it, whatever your fit looks like, it really keeps you from growing. It keeps you from revival. It keeps you from walking with the Lord. There's something that's kind of broken there. And so today, whether you like it or not, we're going to try to deal with it. And the way we're going to deal with it is really simple. I'm going to ask you four questions, go through the questions, and they'll be done. And the questions are this. Number one, are you an angry person? Number two, why are you so angry? Number three, how can you deal with your anger? And number four, how do you deal with someone else who is angry? That simple. Are you angry? Why are you angry? How can you deal with it? And if it's in someone else, how can you deal with it ma'am? That's where we're going. We're going to be flipping around. A lot of verses. So let's start with the first question. Are you an angry person? Let's try to uncover some patterns in your life. So let's start with Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Now, the Bible doesn't deny the fact that you're going to have some contention, you're going to have some strife, you're going to have some issues with other people, but are, are you um, the kind of person that is hot-tempered, you, you stir it up, or are you the one that's slow to anger and you calm it down? Like, what kind of person are you? Do you egg it on or do you find ways to just calm it down? The way I think about it is is, 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 a, is a guy, He's he has this bee flying around his head. And rather than doing a polite little shoe bee, please get away from my head, this guy's like, you want some of me? And he goes and he picks up a stick and he goes over to the hive and he smacks the hive and then bees are everywhere. It's like stirring up strife. And of course, that makes things far worse than they were in the first place. But there is another way. It says, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So rather than knocking down the hive, this person is like, "Uh, shoo bee, please get away from me. And it's trying to calm the situation, and I'm just kind of wondering, when you have these tensions with others, are you the one that stirs it up, are you the one that calms it down? Or, or to ask a better question, a question I, I read about this week, is, is: the question was this, how long is your fuse? Do you have a really, really long fuse you your patience, or a really short fuse where you're ready to go off? Like, what kind of person are you? The one that stirs it up, or calms it down? What's going on? Well, let's, let's try to consider your face-to-face interactions. Look at Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Proverbs 15, 1. Going in the same chapter. says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So kind of like a harsh word will let the bees loose, it'll stir up anger, and then a soft word can calm it down. Over the Christmas break, my wife and I were in Memphis, my family lives in Memphis, and we were going to the movies in Memphis, and as we were there watching the movie, um, some people were being loud behind us. And a guy on my row, kind of sitting next to my wife, sh- he turns around and says, Hey, hush up. That's the way he said it. That's all he said. And the people behind us, there's a bunch of them, probably about 10, 15, just lost it. During the movie, went off. And so they're cussing. People on our row are saying stuff back, and something that was supposed to be really small turned something huge. the The, the, the police came in, removed people from the. Thing. And my wife and I, like, while we're there, we're like, "Okay, there's about to be a brawl here. We're going to move up front. <laughs> we're going to get out of this." But it, but it's amazing how just the the harsh word just stirred it all up. And, and you think, well, there is another way, and it says, "Well, a gentle answer." can turn away wrath. See, a gentle answer doesn't intimidate. A gentle answer doesn't provoke. So as a, as a harsh word can almost create this out-of-control forest fire, a gentle answer can keep the fire in the fireplace. So what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that stirs up the bees, gets the flame, and just blazes it in a forest? Or are you the kind of person who has a, a short fuse, keep the fire in the fireplace, You use gentle words. So move on to question two. If you're the angry person, why are you so angry? What's your deal, man? What's going on? Why are you so angry? What's going on? Let's talk about that. Let's look at Proverbs 14.29. Proverbs 14.29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So let's go ahead and talk about the good. Let's talk about good character. Those of you in here, many of you in here don't struggle with this, and that's great. So this has been encouragement. Let's talk about the good character. The person who's slow to anger, the person displaying great wisdom, the one who can navigate life because they're given the gentle answer. They're not going off. They're slow to anger, and they're expressing this, this great character for the glory of God. So slow to anger carries the idea of patience. Calm down, patience. And it carries the idea of being long-suffering, long-fused, long-suffering. And I'm going to give you a little definition of long-suffering that is in a, a theological dictionary that is really, really good. And I know you're not going to remember it or write it down, but just, just listen to it right now. Long-suffering is that quality of restraint. Kind of like a, a pulling back. So when someone's trying to provoke you, you pull back. It doesn't hastily retaliate. It doesn't promptly punish. And it's the opposite of anger. And it is associated with mercy and it is used of God. And that's awesome to think that God is long-suffering with you. And most of us in here who follow the Lord Jesus Christ would agree that we want to be people who are long-suffering. We want to suffer long and bear with others and show mercy and grace. All of us want to be long-suffering. But the opposite, if you'll see, is the hasty temper person. you see it there? But he who has a hasty temper, 1429, he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. This is the foolish person who throws the, t- the temper tantrum, who throws a fit and rages against others when things don't go his way. So, someone put it this way. When you go off and lose your temper and you look back on the situation, you feel like a fool, right? And the reason why you feel like a fool is because you were a fool. That's why you feel that way. You were being very, very foolish. Let's think of some New Testament verse that, that, that kind of echoes this proverb. It comes from the book of James. and It's a good one to memorize. And I know many of you have memorized it. It says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So God desires a righteous life for you. And that's being slow to anger. But when you blow up, you're saying, you know what, God, it's about me. I want to please myself. It's about my glory. And I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to do what I want to do. But the Word of God says, slow to anger, slow to speak, brings about the righteous life that God desires for you. And if that's what we all desire, then we've got to figure out why don't we express that mercy and grace more? What is going on in our hearts when we are going off on others? What is going on? I want to know what's going on in me. You want to know what's going on in you. And what's going on? And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You know, it's so funny when I preach. It's it's all nice and fun to share it with you, but I'm just doing this for me. I, I want to, I want to, I want to grow in the Lord myself. So I'm preaching to me, and if you want to listen, that's fine. And so I'm just looking for things from the God's Word that are going to help me, and I'll just let you in on it if you want some of it, all right? And so I was reading this week something that I think is very, very encouraging, and it's really helped me frame my anger issues, and it goes like this. It's really complicated. Hand motions again. It has to do with an open hand or a closed hand. Open hand or closed hand? Are you ready for this? An open hand would represent our desires. Everybody in here has desires. So, for example, you have a roommate. You want your roommate to be considerate, right? It's a desire. You're like, I want you to be somewhat clean, take a shower occasionally, clean up after yourself, and don't make too much noise. On a whole, that's generally what we desire of our roommates. Now, if you are married, you have this open hand of desires. You say, okay, I would like my spouse to share some responsibilities. You know, let's balance the workload a little bit. Um, I would like them to communicate with me. Is it too much to ask? To tell me things. Let's communicate. And, hey, why not a little bit of Song of Solomon romance, all right? These are the, some expectations that you have. Good desires in marriage. Now, if you're a parent... You have desires for your children. You say, okay, you know, I want you to obey the first time. I don't want you to talk back. I want you to clean up. I don't want you to play in the toilets. I don't want you to hit your sister and stop hitting the dog. I mean, we have these desires, and there's nothing wrong with having desires. There's nothing wrong with with praying for these things to happen, there's nothing wrong if by appropriately communicating your desires, there's nothing wrong with telling God and others about your desires. There's nothing wrong with having desires at all. But sometimes, you're not going to get what you want. You're not going to get your desires. And if you have the open hand, you're like, "It hurts, I'm disappointed. Oh, that's too bad." But God, that's okay. Life's going to move on. It's going to be okay. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to freak out. Everything's still going to be okay. That's where we want to be, right? But here is where anger comes into play. When we have the desires in the open hand and we turn them into demands. Oh, here we, here we go. Here we go. This is it. If you have these desires, you turn them into pants and you say, you know what? I've got to have that. And if that doesn't come to me, I'm going to die. I've got to have it. And so things aren't going so well with your roommate. You're like, you are such a slob. What is going on with you? You You need to clean up. Look at this mess. It's a disaster. Or you go up to your spouse and you say, you know, I've been speaking your love language long enough. You need to start speaking my love language. What's your problem? <laughs> or you go up to your kids and you say, what is going on? I clean for you and I cook for you. I do everything for you. And you can't even make your bed. You're such a slob. You're such, you're such a little punk. And so you, you have these demands and you say, I must have them. And you get angry. And you know what's happening? You take a desire for good things, turn them into demands. and That's what I just want to tell you what that is. That's idolatry. It's just straight up idolatry. You're saying, I want you to please me. And I expect you to. And when you don't, you have failed me. And I am going to lash out at you. That's just idolatry. Instead of waiting for God to satisfy us completely and fulfill us in Him, We turn desires for good things into idols and they're going to fail you. People that you you trust and depend on, from time to time, they're going to let you down. They're going to fail you. What's at the heart of your anger? Probably idolatry. The closed hand of demands rather than the open hand of desires. What is going on when you're going off? Think to yourself, closed hand demands idolatry. I bet I could pinpoint it and each of your lives, and you could probably do it better, of what is it you're demanding rather than just with a healthy desire? What is that? Well, well the next question is, well, what are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? You're like, guilty, I'm angry. Guilty of idols. Yep, that's me. Okay, wh- what are you going to do about it? What can you do about it? Now, this is not an anger management seminar. You are here at church. The gathered assembly. You want to hear from God's Word about how to deal with it. I'm going to be speaking to you in spiritual, theological realities here. Because I really want to help you. I want you to be changed in here. It's what I want. I know that's what you want. It's what God wants. So the third question is, what can we do about it? So let's try to move from our wrath to being long-suffering. Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19:11 Proverbs 19:11 says good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense so when you're you're slow to anger you're offering these gentle words you're overlooking an offense Basically, you're being forgiving. In fact, forgiving sin and, and overlooking offense, it says it's your glory. You know what that means? It's—it's it's really attractive. It's impressive. It's beautiful. And you know what's so impressive about it? It's all very godlike. That's what God does. He's long-suffering and He's forgiving and He's gracious with you and those who trust in Him. He—he he really is like that. He's slow to anger, and so. When we are slow to anger and overlook an offense, we're living a lot like Him. And I want to help you live a lot like God in being long-suffering. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you right now, you can write them down if you want, but You don't, it doesn't matter. I'm going to give you three gospel theological realities. And if you don't write them down, that's fine. Just, just Even if you don't remember them, just know this is what I want to be happening in your heart. These three gospel realities or these three theological things about God as he interacts with you that I think I could be totally wrong here but I think this is going to this is going to help you as you relate with God to help you deal with your anger. So here we go. Number 1. God is slow to anger with you and he's forgiving of you. So you should be slow to anger and forgiving of others. He's slow to anger and forgiving of you so you should be slow to anger and forgiving of others. And if you don't think this is a big, big deal, there's a parable in the New Testament called the uh, unmerciful servant. Do you remember that? This dude, huge debt. Gets forgiven a huge debt. But well, what does he do? He goes out and he finds someone who owes him a little small debt, and he goes off on that person. And when you go off on other people, that is you it does not matter what someone else has done to you. There is no way, no way it can be as huge as what you've done to a holy God. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for sinners who have gone off on Him, who have sinned against Him, and He offers us forgiveness. Huge debt is forgiven. We're reconciled to God through faith. Now as we interact with others, we offer grace and mercy and forgiveness. You can forgive because you have been forgiven. Now the second theological gospel reality that I want you to grasp is this. It may be a little more difficult to grasp and yet it's really, really good indeed. You can take a hit when someone comes at you, when someone is just really aggressively trying to hurt you, emotionally saying things, texting you, emailing, cutting you off, whatever they're doing. You can take a hit without fighting back because... Jesus fought back, and he won on your behalf. Jesus fought and won on your behalf. So there, is, there should be no room for rage and wrath in your life, because Jesus, he just he took care of it. Now, this is a little bit more difficult, and I really want you to see this one, because I think this one is going to really get in your heart. So we're actually going to turn to the New Testament now. I know you can handle this. Let's try it. Turn to 1 Peter. We'll come back to Proverbs in a second, but turn to 1 Peter. This one is really good. For those of you who really struggle with anger, you may have never thought about 1 Peter. But 1 Peter, it's in the back of the Bible. If you can't find it, look on someone next to you. But 1 Peter chapter 2. This is an amazing, amazing passage about anger and wrath and revenge. 1 Peter 2. It's going to talk about when Jesus was suffering for you that he, while he was suffering, he didn't respond in wrath. So look at First Peter 2. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Okay, let's stop there. So all this junk's coming upon him being beaten, cursed, inflicted with great, you know. And yet, mm, he's quiet. He's not going off. He's not striking back. He entrusts himself with God. Now get this. Now the Bible says, you do that too. It really does. All right. So here we go. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. 221. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Oh, Oh, so okay. So Christ did that when he was being unjustly punished. And when unjust suffering comes our way, things that are happening to us that are just not fair, it says, okay, follow in his steps. Don't don't just don't push back and trust yourself to God just like Jesus did. And as I was studying this passage this week and interacting with someone on our staff, we were really trying to say, okay, how's that possible? I mean, is the Bible really about Jesus did this? Now you go do it too. He's a great example. You follow it too, and, I, and, I, and that's that's part of that's true. But I, I kind of want to go. How do I do that? Because Nothing's in me that wants to do that. How do I do that? And so I think the key is in verse 24. First Peter 2, 24. Look what it says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Oh my. So it says on the cross, Christ beats sin. I mean, we still have sin. We're still tempted. But Christ gave this fatal blow to sin. So that means that sin in the Christian no longer commands us. Jesus now commands us. And so when someone curses you or at you, you don't have to go back. You don't have to curse back. Because you know why? Jesus will be their judge. And when someone hurts you, you don't have to hurt back. You know why? Because Jesus is your healer. He forgives you. He will heal you. He'll have mercy on you. So now the Bible's telling us that through the power of the gospel, the cross, the Holy Spirit, you and I now have a power we didn't have before to entrust ourselves to God and say, okay, God, you're the judge. You take care of it. I'm not going to lash out, and I have power to pull back in the gospel. So try, try to put these together. Okay, Here's what I'm trying to say. Number one, you've been forgiven, you can forgive. Number two, you can take the hit, not strike back, because of what Christ has done. And the third reality I want to give you, it's a real quick one, is this. Since you have all that you need in Christ, you can do this. You have everything you need in Christ. That means you can do this. You can have your desires in the open hand. You can say, Lord, these are the things I want, but if I don't get them, it's okay. I have you, I have all I need in you in the gospel. I'm going to keep the desires in the open hand because you have given me all I need. Here's the problem. Those are great theological gospel truths. I love them, they help me, they adjust my heart. But here's the problem. In the midst of the conflict, when someone's coming at me, When something's not going right in a relationship, I'm not thinking, Well, God forgave me a great debt, I want to forgive them. When the heat is on, I'm not thinking, Well, you know what? I can take the hit because Jesus died on the cross and he changed my heart. In the midst of a heated conflict, I'm not thinking, Well can you imagine being in a fight with someone and saying, you know what? I'm gonna keep this desire in the open hand. I have open hands. In fact, can you imagine arguing with someone with your hands open? And they're like, what are you doing? Well, I have open hands, whatever. No, they're not going to do that. See, that when you're in the conflict, you're not thinking these things. So here's what you've got to do. It's really hard. It's almost like you want to say, time out. <laughs> can I have a time out, please? I'm not thinking very good right now, and I'm not thinking right. And it, I think it's okay In the heat of the conflict where you cannot process in the gospel and you cannot speak what is right, I think it's okay to pull back, get away, get alone, and start to process in the gospel again. Maybe get with someone else and say, okay, help me out here because I'm having some serious tension. I don't know how to speak. Help me process in the gospel. And so there's nothing wimpy about walking away from a fight until you can respond in a more godly and gracious way. And so this week, it's okay if you're walking away. Walking away. I mean, don't be rude or anything. Say, excuse me, I'm just, my heart's not right. It's not you, it's me. Let me just take a break. Let me just process a little bit. And if you're not running away from conflict because you still want to engage. You still want to communicate. But there are times where all the theological stuff that we have doesn't really come through at the right time sometimes, right? We need to think and ask the God that will do a work in us. So it's okay to pull away until you're ready to speak. So that's us. But how do you deal? Here's the fourth question. How do you deal with other people who are angry? Some of you are around angry people all the time. You're not just angry, but other people are angry. like how do you what do you do with them? Let's go back to Proverbs. Proverbs 19. Go back to Proverbs, you can do it. Proverbs 19. How do we deal with contentious people? Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19.19 concerns angry and contentious people. Proverbs 19.19 It says, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. The idea here is that you can bail out the person of wrath, but you know what? Until their hearts are dealt with, you're going to be bailing them out all the time. You can get them out of jail. You can hire them a lawyer. You can fix something they broke and try to mend a relationship. But if you're not dealing with their heart with regard to the Gospel, they're just going to do it again. And I know some of you are stuck in some unhealthy cycles. You are, right? Some of you are just stuck in these endless loops of trying to bail people out. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm just telling you, have you not noticed in your life that it just keeps happening over and over and over again? You'll try to defend them. You'll try to bail them out. You'll try to protect them. But you know what? You just see it happening over and over again. It's such a, it's such a wrong cycle. You're like, what's going on? The Word of God says, you t- do it one time again, to keep doing it again until you get at the heart and what's going on in their relationship with God and what's going on in the relationship with others. You shouldn't keep doing it over and over and over again. So I want to tell you. Doesn't mean you don't love someone. Doesn't mean you don't care for them. But sometimes you just gotta let people do their thing, and let them bear the full brunt of their actions. And I I don't know your situation. Maybe that sometimes that's not the best. I don't know with kids. I don't know how that works. I'm just saying. Be aware of the cycles. Be aware of the cycles. And the last verse we're gonna look at is kind of a fun one. Proverbs 21. Verse 9. Proverbs 21 9. Proverbs 21 9 says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, men, before you turn to your wives and say, do you see that, honey? I think that needs to be your new memory verse. That should be your life verse. Before you do that, understand. Men, please, please understand this. Your wife can have a contentious husband as well. And you may think, well, who is he? It's you. <laughs> it's you. Clue in here a little bit, all right? But this, this book is written to a young man trying to tell him, look, this is what you should look for in marriage. Because it's speaking to a young man. And so, young guy, uh, those of you who are in dating relationships, um, if you're dating someone who is contentious, you might want to pause. You might want to just rethink what you're doing. Because you have a contentious someone that's always trying to pick fights and you, you see them picking fights with you, picking fights with others. They're, they're just always kind of disagreeable. You might want to rethink that relationship because that's something you that don't think that once you get married that's gone. That will often come into the marriage relationship, and what you'll find is that if that does come into the marriage relationship, you might want to move on to the roof and be exposed to the brutality of nature. Rather than deal with the brutal nature of your spouse. You get that? You think, well, I'm just gonna live on, on the roof. It's better than to be exposed to the brutal brutality of nature than deal with the brutal nature of my spouse because they're just so they're just hurting me. They're they're contentious, they're staring at problems. But here's the deal. Some of you it's already too late, right? You you already married that person. And you're in that marriage now where there's just strife, anger, stuff being thrown, words being thrown around. It's like marriage is one big war. And if that describes your marriage, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to bail? Like, I just want to do over Get me out of this mess. I just want to do over. No, no, no. Our church doesn't have a lot of programs. We don't even have our own building. We don't have a lot going on. But there's, there's one thing we do really good. So I'm going to brag a little bit about it. Our church is really good at mentoring couples whether you're married, whether you're engaged, whether you're pre-engaged, whether you're just dating. We're pretty good at hooking you up with other couples that can help you work through issues. Like really good at it. And so if, if you are in some, some relationship that is not healthy, something's just not right. And in fact, I know some of you are at a point right now, you just don't know what to do. Things have just turned really ugly. And you don't know what to do. And you certainly don't want to say to your spouse, hey, let's go talk to someone at church because they'll just go off anymore. And so you don't know what to do. Hey, come talk to us. We want to help you. And Of course, we want to help your spouse who may be violent. And I know some of you may be, may be violent in here. You may be raging. And I, I, the thing is that I don't want to do, I don't want to say, if you're violent, we are going to come after you. We, we want to talk to you. We're not trying to just... Dig you deeper into your violence and your rage and your... wrath. We're saying, look, come talk to us. We want to help you. We want to help you in your marriage. We want things to be restored. We want grace, and, and and we want. And for those of you who may be abused and things are just getting worse, don't don't hide. We 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 will we will step up. We will protect you as best as we can. We will love you. We'll we'll, we'll just do whatever we can. T- whatever we can do to just love you and surround you. so it may, be, it may need to be a removal. I don't know what needs to happen. But we are here for you. Do not hide if there's this contentious relationship to whatever degree. And for those of you dating and you see the mess and you're both believers things are just problems, come talk to us. We'll talk to you now. So let's deal with it now before we move into a marriage. Let's deal with these issues now for wherever you're at. We'll get you hooked up, get you set, because we want to deal with our hearts. We want to grow in this grace in our relationships. This is the way we're going to end. We're going to come to this end again the way we've been doing the last three weeks. I'm going to ask a series of questions. They're going to be very uncomfortable. They're going to diagnose your anger. I get these questions from this book called Seven Daily Sins by Jared Wilson. Really good. So what we're trying to do here is I'm trying to uncover your out-of-control anger. I'm trying to uncover your self-centered anger. And so in prayer, examine your heart and confess and receive forgiveness in the gospel. And then we're going to worship. But today, we're going to do something different. Today, during the worship time, if you have issues with anger, if you have issues with other people who are angry and you don't know what to do about it, or there's just contentious in your in your marriage relationship, whatever, whatever it is, the elders, the leaders of this church are going to be in the back so when everybody stands, you can actually slip out, come to the back, and the elders will be scattered, and we want to pray for you. We're not here to judge you. We're here to help you. We're here to walk you through some of these things, and we want to pray for you to so just i want to ask these questions as we're in prayer. Then we're going to stand in worship, and you can just slip to the back, and we're going to pray for you. So let's go to this time of prayer. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, whatever you need to do to be in prayer as we process in the Gospel these questions and receive forgiveness in Jesus. Do you have difficulty letting go of personal hurts? Someone has hurt you maybe in the past, and you're still, you're still hanging on to that right now. Are you known for being argumentative and or defensive? You're always defending yourself, arguing your position? Do people sometimes tell you you have thin skin, but you have a very, very short temper? When a non-Christian does something offensive, is your first response anger about their sin rather than pity about their ignorance? Do you always have to get the last word? Are the people that you haven't talked to in a while simply because you're, you're angry with them? If, if that's the case, today may be the day for a phone call, an email, time for reconciliation. When you're arguing with friends and family or with your spouse, can you focus on the issues at hand and be reasonable, or do your emotions lead you to say things designed to inflict hurt and to win? And some of you today need to ask for forgiveness from your spouse for your out of control words, for your hurtful arrows. Does the very idea of forgiving somebody who's hurt you make you angry? And if you're a parent in here, do you find it difficult to correct and discipline your kids without venting anger? There's got to be a heart change. Or do a heart change in us today. Where we are truly are broken and repentant, and we really want to change. And we look to Jesus on the cross for forgiveness. Stir us up right now. Do this work in us for your glory, Lord. Do this work in us. We cannot change on our own. We just ask that you would change us. Amen.